So, welcome to the Rocking Life podcast, Rocking Life After Divorce. And today we have Mark here today. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Per. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's so fun to interview people. I, I love interviewing people. And it's get to know new people and uh, yep. new faces. And yep. uh, I just wanted to share a little bit about you've been a family therapist for, for a long time. You've helped uh, families navigate divorce since uh, 2002. That's amazing. And uh, you see, you've seen everything from the masters of divorce to the disasters of the divorce you share. And yep. uh, you also believe that most spouses have it in them to do well. And I think so too. I know for myself it was so much fear and uh, a lot of difficulties going through divorce and maybe more so for men, I think. Uh, maybe not. I don't know what you think. But uh, I had a very difficult time dealing with many emotions, fear, and uh, it was definitely very difficult the first few years. What's your experience of, uh, of divorce yourself and what is the role of a counselor and, and how can you help? And I know you also work a lot with collaborative divorce. Yeah. And I think it's a lot of people, they don't know what collaborative divorce is, but I think it's an amazing way to go through and navigate divorce. It is, yeah. Well, I think that you're talking about a couple of different roles there that professionals can play. Um, albeit, I would say that um, what's common about a therapist working with somebody who's going through a divorce and a divorce coach is that they help to anchor the person a bit to provide that um, um, sort of solid place to go to to uh, work out the issues that go along with um, going through the process of divorce. Because as you know, it's a very anxiety-provoking time, yeah. a lot of intense emotion, um, a lot of changes, a lot of unknowns coming down the pike. And, um, you know, that stress can be difficult for the average person to manage. And so having a place where you can, a safe place where you can talk it out and talk it through uh, can be very, very helpful. I know that um, a lot of people are reluctant to see a therapist when they're divorcing because there's a certain stigma that's attached to seeing a counselor or seeing a therapist. That's why I kind of like the term divorce coach, because um, it takes it away from that stigma of there being something wrong with you or something broken. You yeah. know, you need to see a therapist, blah, blah, blah. Um, whereas I think people and maybe men in, uh, more specifically can relate to the idea of a coach. Yeah. Um, somebody that comes alongside you and helps coach you through the process. A little bit of knowing what to expect helping, certainly within a divorce coaching uh, perspective, helping my clients. And, you know, as a, as a coach who's male, I might see either the husband or the wife, but somebody that can help them know what is common or normal in the process, somebody that can help them when we do sit down with the other spouse and their divorce coach to help them to be as non-reactive as possible to help keep them on track, um, maybe to be remembering the things that they wanted to talk about, the things that were important. There's this phrase out there these days, um, emotionally uncoupling, is a kind of a concrete image of people moving from a, an intimate relationship 
two separate um, individuals a bit more so. So, for example, as I said earlier before we came on air, that um, I'd been working with another divorce coach with some some uh, spouses this morning, and as we were going through the parenting plan and starting, you know, helping to make some decisions about how they're going to approach their co-parenting, there were there were opportunities for them to say personal things about the relationship and about the end of the relationship and um, in a way kind of processing uh, the letting go and the looking forward and um, kind of getting a a closure or yeah there's a there's a kind of a therapeutic aspect to that albeit collaborative divorce coaching isn't therapy per se you lose you use a lot of the same a lot of um, similar tools but yeah I'd say Getting a bit of closure on what's ending and also beginning to give permission to look forward to what's coming. Yeah. Um, so in this instance, the, um, the husband was getting his new living arrangement organized. He was doing some renovations and whatnot. And the wife was offering to help out in whatever way she could. And, um, you know, he was really um, trying to be clear but not dismissive in terms of he just wanted to create this space on his own right it's going to be his space so that so that's putting a little bit of closure on what was and it's also creating some new boundaries for what's coming part of what we saw the value of his wife's um involvement in part was as a bridge for the kids to be comfortable being at his place so not that she would be over there doing a lot, but if, even if she came over and brought the kids while he was doing some renovations or um, maybe they all had a meal together at the new place, that it sends the message that she's comfortable with them being there and she's comfortable with them spending time at their dad's place and that transition to, you know, parenting time in each home. Yeah. Um, I so, think uh, uh, like a, a, a collaborative divorce, I did not go through that process. And it seems like yeah. the, the lawyers are doing everything to, to get it as good as possible for one party. And that creates a lot of strife. Whereas what I understand with a collaborative divorce, both coaches and uh, the, the lawyers work together to make it as good as possible for the family's future. Yeah, I think that um, not to be overly simplistic, but it's more um, interest-based than positional. Yeah. Um, ideally, the spouses are taking the lead and the lawyers are supporting that yeah. and supporting the kind of conversation that the spouses need to have to sort out the legal aspects of their divorce. Um, and it's within a context which is respectful, that keeps the reactivity down, and works toward resolution, um, so it you know it can truly be a win-win kind of a situation, as opposed to other uh, legal arenas where there can be a feeling like there's a winner and a loser. Yeah, exactly. And then um, there's a team of people working with the family to support them as they go through. So while not all people on the team would be involved in every file, there certainly would be the family lawyers. There can be the divorce coaches a child specialist and a financial specialist. And so, um, you know, there's a lot of people helping this family get from one end to the other effectively and as smoothly as possible. 
Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, I think uh, the initially the collaborative divorce can be a little bit more expensive because we did look into it. But I think in the long term, it's probably a lot cheaper in most cases because you you don't have the strife, you don't have the after effects of a, a very hostile divorce. Yeah, I think yeah, it's definitely I, a very good way to go. And I would say it's a it's a popular misconception that collaborative is more expensive. Okay. Often, often what happens is people think, oh, geez, there's all these professionals involved. You know, the work that we do as divorce coaches, and I, as I mentioned to you um, previously, in in Vancouver, we tend to use a two coach model. But even so, if we're able to be effective in keeping the reactivity down, and as two divorce coaches keeping the parents on track to creating a parenting plan, not only can we get through it in a more efficient uh, manner because we're working to keep the reactivity down, but my fee isn't as high as a lawyer's fee. Yeah. And so the two coaches working through a parenting plan and the cost of those two professionals isn't going to be the equivalent of two lawyers. Now, granted, they're going to have their expertise as well, but... Um, um, a litigation process, as I said, is going to be more adversarial, as well as you're caught up in a legal domain that has certain steps involved before you could even get into court or by the time you get to settlement, whereas um, the spouses can be sitting down with two collaborative lawyers quite early on in the process, and the bulk of the work is done through those four-way meetings. Yeah. So. Um, I think I remember a statistic just a few years ago in Vancouver where the average collaborative divorce was around $12,000 for each spouse, whereas by the time people are getting into court, let's say, six months down the road, they may have spent forty or $50,000. So. Yeah, absolutely. And um, uh, as, you go, as you move through the divorce and uh, after the divorce is finalized, do you play yeah. any part of helping them afterwards, or is that the ending of the collaborative? Well, what's um, it's a good question. Um, we know that a parenting plan that's created today may need to be tweaked a year or two down the road, or as kids move along developmentally and get older, the, um, the needs may change. And yeah. so even though you try and build into that, into the parenting plan, some of that forward-looking language, um, there certainly may be issues come issues that come up that weren't foreseen, or there might be a bit of an impasse. And so um, <clears throat> it certainly isn't uncommon that a year or two or more down the road, um, the parents may come back to the divorce coaches to rework part of the parenting plan. Um, so yeah, we're just sort of there in the background as needed. So what is the most uh, appealing to you with the collaborative divorce versus a regular divorce? Because it's a more adversarial process, I think there's more potential for things to go sideways. There's certainly every possibility that a, a, a litigated divorce could be um, pretty respectful and pretty efficient. Yeah. Um, Having said that, built into a collaborative philosophy is one of respect and making it interest-based. So we want the, the spouses to really drive the process. There's really a desire to 
find resolution that works for everybody in the family. I know that one of the first collaborative files I had back in the mid-2000s, um, at the end of it, um, one of the parents said it was a win-win-win outcome. Yeah. Not, you know, both spouses one in terms of creating a document that they felt really reflected what they wanted and needed, as well as it really uh, put the best interest of their kids f- forward. And I don't often hear that when I hear about litigation. There's always no. a sense that somehow somebody, somebody's lawyer was better or somebody wasn't on the ball or somebody just couldn't get all they wanted. And so there's that more of a, a sense of a winner or loser, which then can't help but get into your co-parenting afterwards if you're feeling resentful and um, upset on the outcome of your divorce. So, Yeah, I've heard some parents, I haven't heard that many actually that gone through collaborative divorce, but the people I have talked to, I don't think I've heard anyone that has said something negative. It's like a very positive. And so I wanted to bring that up on the podcast because the podcast is to bring hope to people. It's called Rocking in Life because my kids started rock climbing six months ago and I joined them. And uh, oh, yeah. rock climbing is so <laughs> much about similar to life where sometimes in life you have easy passages, but then sometimes you hit yeah. some very difficult passages that it's not very advisable to go unless you have somebody that's gone there before, uh, somebody that can help you along the way. And yeah. uh, divorce is very much like that. Like, I've never gone through a divorce myself until I went through a divorce five years ago. So it was uncharted territory for me. Yeah. Uh, I didn't have a map. Uh, and I think it's, I usually <laughs> use the word navigate because it's yeah. a lot like that. You don't know how to navigate. And it's so easy to get lost in this process mentally, emotionally, in so many ways. But then yeah. when you have a coach that knows and have gone through and helped other people, I think it makes this journey so much easier. And yeah. uh, I think the podcast is there to bring awareness, bring hope for people, people that listen that might be in a very dark place, a lot of depression and loneliness, the lack of connection with your kids, etc. And yeah. uh, I just want to see, you do family therapy as well. And yeah. uh, how can it... Uh, like a therapist or a coach, help a person in this process? Well, and I, as I alluded to earlier, the role of a coach and a therapist is somewhat different. The overlap is helping create space for that person to find that solid part of themselves so they can get through the divorce itself as effectively as they can. And there is an element of divorce coaching where people have the opportunity to kind of explore how they got to that place of divorcing and how come they couldn't work on their relationship such that it could continue and to kind of process all that piece of it. But it tends to be relatively specific to just getting through the divorce and or creating a parenting plan and maybe a vision for co-parenting. And then once that document is finished, it gets attached to the separation agreement or the divorce decree, and then the role of the divorce coach is over. What's somewhat different about a a therapeutic process or a therapy process is um, the individual has the opportunity to go deeper into how did they get here? Um, What was it about themselves that 
they were unable to uh, repair some of the damage that had been done through their relationship when this or that happened, what got in the way of them growing in the relationship such that it didn't get stronger and stronger. Instead, it got weaker and more fragile. What was it that they brought into the relationship from their family of origin? What were their strengths that they brought into the relationship, but also what were their weaknesses? And just to kind of look at a lot of different things, which is not necessarily something that happens in a divorce coaching process. I guess it could to a certain degree, but it tends to be a bit more specific to the immediate issues. Yeah, um, yeah. I think it's important to have a counselor. I had a counselor on and off for probably three years, and then still yeah. I can call her when I have specific things come up, both regarding yeah. me, but also regarding the family and the kids. And I think it's... Uh, I know that a lot of guys think, oh, I don't need this help, but I encourage everybody to get uh, a coach or and a counselor going through divorce and also afterwards, especially if you have kids. And uh, But a lot of times, like if you go through divorce, the, the statistics, if you get remarried again, and if you haven't worked through your own personal problems, the statistics is against you that you're most likely going to end up in another divorce unless you fix yourself. Um, yeah. So that's where where the counseling afterwards comes in. For me, it was tremendous. Right. Right. Yeah, and I think that that's. I mean, I think that's a great point because there's the the aspect of somebody working on themselves to understand what the challenges were for them in terms of being responsible for their part of the relationship and growing that relationship. So that's a bit about the past, right? Yeah. What brought them yeah. to the point of seeing you? This relationship is over. You're going through a divorce. And then there's the other piece that you just mentioned, which is the therapeutic piece of going forward. How do you do better next time in your next relationship? How do you be an effective parent yeah. when you're a single parent? How do you um, go about being an effective co-parent and making sure that you don't kind of stir the pot um, such that it's hard to work with your co-parent to parent your kids and rather than sort of being on two um, quite separate paths. So, Yeah. Um, and when you go through the co-parenting, uh, we've talked a little bit about uh, the co-parenting is a, is a big part of the collaborative uh, divorce initially where you set up yeah. a parenting plan. But uh, yeah. If you can explain for the for the listeners the importance of co-parenting and a co-parenting plan, a lot of, mm-hmm. I know a lot of people they they neither know about it, and a lot of states they don't even require it. But uh, what is that, and wh- why is this so important? Well, I think it just creates a template um, at the outset for what the structure of the co-parenting is going to look like. Everything from what the days of, of parenting time are going to be. You know, parent A has the kids on these days, parent B has them these days. Um, the transition between a household is going to happen on this day at this time. And some parents um, need a lot of specific, concrete guidelines written out so there are no misunderstandings, um, there are no agreements or arguments. Some some uh, parents can, um, you know, the ones that are, are relatively amicable, can tend to um, 
manage those things just as they come. Although, as I said earlier, in a four-way earlier today with two parents that are very amicable, the other coach and I talked about the value of having a certain amount of specificity so that, yeah, right now things are going well, but if a year from now there's some tension or disagreement, you can always refer back to the parenting plan that said, you know, when when we worked this out, we came to agreement that we would do this about that. Yeah. And that, yeah. that would then be the default. It doesn't mean that in the meantime, if both of you know, both of you are in agreement, you can't do whatever's working for you. But if some impasse comes up, then you've got a default in place and you don't have to do that hard slogging of ne- of kind of hammering out a parenting plan when there's a lot of animosity in the air. That doesn't mean that it, the parents like this have to have like super laid out. They may just want to have a, a certain amount of um, detail fleshed out, whereas some parents, we may get to it today, we may get to it another time, but some of the high-conflict parents I work with as a parenting coordinator, they need a very specific parenting plan because when there's tension in their co-parenting relationship, it's going to come out in their parenting. And if there is a gray area around what, a particular issue, she's going to say this, he's going to say that, and then the language isn't clear enough to to specify what the deal is. Yeah. So that's where the fight's going to happen. So. I thought that was very cool that you're a parenting coordinator as well. And then a parenting coordinator can make binding decisions when the parents yeah. are not in agreement. And I think that's yeah. great. And that you have agreed on that from the beginning, that uh, yeah. the parents will abide by that. Yeah. I mean, in, in many ways, it's it's quite a different approach than a collaborative approach. But it is meant for parents. Like a collab- uh, people who are drawn to a collaborative approach, I wouldn't say they're always easy, amicable parents or spouses, but they they see the value of that philosophy of working together, trying to find commonality, putting the best interest of their kids first, and being being willing and open to finding agreement. They may not always like it, but they see the value of trying to find that middle ground. There are a lot of different reasons for um, or a lot of different things that contribute to one or both parents being high conflict, which then makes it very difficult to come to an agreement. And so while they'll come to me with a parenting plan laid out more or less in a court order or whether they've worked out a parenting plan with coaches, you know, it's usually relatively specific, although you'd be surprised even with these high conflict parents how many will come with a court order that's relatively bare bones in terms of a parenting plan. And then, of course, there's a lot of disagreement. You know, either the the parenting plan or the court order just does not have any real specifics around summer holidays. It'll just say, you know, each parent is entitled to two weeks of summer holidays. Well, great. You know, great if you're amicable and, you know, they can just choose it. But when there are higher conflict... Yeah, there'll just be an argument about, um, you know, when those two weeks need to be decided upon. Are they going to be two weeks together? Who gets to choose first? And if that's not really specific, then a parenting coordinator can help to um, build consensus and come to an agreement. But as you said, at a certain point, either one of the parents or the parenting coordinator will say, this needs to go to a decision and gets input from both gets all the 
pertinent information and then makes a binding decision. And I mean, I always say to parents, you know, my, my hope would be that you can find that reasonable middle ground and nobody likes to have something imposed on them. But um, sometimes it's necessary. And, you know, a lot of the time people are just glad that something was decided and it was done by a neutral third party. Sometimes even at that one or both parents aren't particularly happy and, you know, it just is what it is. But at least decisions are being made and people can move forward. Yeah. And uh, I, I read on your website, it says that you specialize in creating a vision for co-parenting. Can you explain what the vision for a co-parenting is and uh, how do you how do you establish that? Well, I think that can be a nice place to start, um, even with parents who are sensitive to each other and upset with each other, angry with each other. But to try and set the course right at the outset, this is something that normally would happen within a, a divorce coaching or collaborative divorce divorce coaching process, spending a good portion of that first meeting talking about, you know, what what's your ideal for co-parenting? Um, how would you want to be treated and how do you want to treat your your former spouse? And maybe more importantly, what do you want the experience of your children to be? Yeah. You know, if if it's 20 years down the road and your children are telling the story of what life was like after mom and dad divorced and what the co-parenting was like and going back and forth to each household, what what's the story you would like them to be telling? Wow. And what would be important to you? So obviously people come, to, come up with things like, you know, even though we're sad or angry about the fact that we are no longer together, we will work hard to respect each other and respect each other's parenting. We desire to always put the kids and the kids' needs first and put our needs second. We look to create a happy family environment because we recognize that this is the only family our children have and we want to safeguard that. Those kind of lofty, but um, you know, the, the kind of statements that would appeal to their higher self and their ideal. Yeah. And ideally, at least in my mind, the reason we do this is so that when times do get tough, my hope would be that those parents or that parent would go back to their parenting plan and say, okay, I agreed at the outset that I'm going to be respectful to my co-parent. So even though I'm madder than hell, I'm going to take a breath, be really patient, and be respectful in how I'm I'm treating them. Yeah. Um, and that it would be a bit of a guidepost for them. That's good. That is so good. Yeah. You, to have a vision in your life period is so important, but to have a vision for your family and for your kids, even though you're not together, it's uh-huh. crucial. And then yeah. you, you also write, uh, keeping you looking at the bright future and let it go of the past. How do you help the people do that? Sometimes I know that can be very difficult. Yeah. I mean, I think it c- comes back to your comment earlier where as divorce coaches or if as a coach or a therapist you've been through divorce you kind of know the lay, the lay of the land and often um, people coming into a divorce um, especially if it's their first divorce they really don't know what to expect and yeah. and it can just feel like all dark and gloomy and that their life is over and they'll never find another partner and their life is going to be terrible and 
we know that uh, more often than not, the likelihood is that within a year, their divorce will be behind them and they will be moving on and they might be in a new relationship and they might have ended one chapter of their life, but another chapter is opening and they're seeing all sorts of possibilities. Now, while I may make that kind of a comment early on in the process, I know that people's anxiety is running so high they probably can't hear it because they just everything's doom and gloom. But I think that they they if the if the coach can be um, optimistic and forward looking, I think it creates a bit of a beachhead for them to find that that solid place within themselves to somehow believe that the future is going to be bright. Um, but I think that's part of their process, that grief and loss process of over the months, um, them beginning to put the pieces together again and um, realizing that there are new opportunities that they hadn't anticipated. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, if you uh, in the collaborative uh, divorce and co-parenting, if you have a couple that's not amicable, but they want to go through the collaborative divorce, how do you guys deal with that? Is it a different? Well, no, no, I'd say that the process is the same, but I think that um, I think one of the values of using a two-coach model is that both spouse has their own coach in the room with them, so we have four-way meetings. I think in my, from my perspective, it's a bit more unwieldy for one coach to be trying to manage both sides yeah. because at different points in time, one spouse may need to be attended to because their emotional intensity might be up, you know, either sad or angry, and they might need their coach to calm them down in the room or to do a bit of a breakout, spend a few minutes outside the room. And there may be the misperception by the other spouse that the coach is being is is aligning too much with the other spouse okay the other the other reason why my preference is a two coach as opposed to one coach is often people have been through therapy where they've been sitting in a room with one therapist and now they're sitting in the room with one coach and this just the physical structure feels the same you know, here we go again um, whereas when you have two people in the room two coaches in the room it's a very different structure the the degree to which the coach is involved with their own client in the room, depending on how friendly and amicable or how unfriendly and upset it may be, that may just dictate how active the coach is. Yeah. So I might be helping my client to to stay respectful and to speak from that I position, to not be blaming. Um, to really just speak for themselves. So I might, you know, quite actively say, you know, John, can you just take a step back and talk about what that was like for you on the weekend when Bobby didn't want to come to your place? And rather than blaming your co-parent for not making sure that he came. And then now I've coached him to get back within himself to speak from his own sort of truth, so to speak, and um, articulate what his needs are. Or I might be there to, if he's really getting charged up about an issue, I might be able to say, you remember when we met earlier in the week, 
we talked about this and you had some really interesting ideas or really important things that you wanted to say or put forward. Can you articulate that? Oh, okay. And then he goes back and so it's really hands-on. Now, the parents that we were sitting down with this morning, very amicable. They did, they've done a lot of talking on their own. Yeah. In the room today, the other coach and I didn't have to coach either of our our clients that much although we could just we could bring up things they weren't thinking about so flesh out some aspects of the parenting plan that they might have um, glossed over because they weren't necessarily appreciating the depth that they might want to talk to about it so not a lot of intervention in terms of coaching maybe a bit more intervention in terms of have you thought of this or what about that yeah but these other ones yeah there's a lot more intense involvement with our own clients and as long as they're not so out of control that you don't get any value out of the two hours then you know certainly we'll work with uh, spouses who are more emotionally intense although we also might spend more time like usually on an average collaborative divorce coaching situation I might only meet with my client once or twice before we get into a four-way meeting okay. just to make sure that they have an idea of what's going to happen there yeah. to get a sense of the lay of the land to talk about my role to find out what's really important for them what the issues are but if it was a more intense or more um, conflictual situation then I might meet with that with my client three four or five times and similarly the other divorce coach with the other spouse and then we'd really confer when we think that they're ready to sit in a room together. Okay. So we really gauge it for what the needs of the needs of the spouses are. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great because I know, uh, you know, going through myself a divorce that was quite a bit of conflict initially, yeah. with a lot of feelings, and uh, then you just have two divorce uh, lawyers that pretty much try to pull really pull you aside and, and they could try to do the best for their client but not the best thing for the family and yeah, uh, yeah. that's why I think I highly recommend collaborative divorce if anybody's listening and thinking about or need to go through divorce to, to do it that way to really try to work it out for to reduce and make it into an amicable uh, way where you work together yeah, and I and I think that for at least our experience here in Vancouver, and I'm sure it's the same in other jurisdictions, certainly as I've, and again, different, different jurisdictions use the divorce coaches in different ways. Some have the divorce coach in the meetings with the lawyers. Here in Vancouver, the four-way meetings with the coaches who generally are mental health professionals um, are separate from the four-ways with the, the spouses and their lawyers. But if we can calm things down at the divorce coaching end, then when they meet with their family lawyers, they can get the most out of their meeting with their lawyers yeah. because they're they're grounded, they're not reactive. So we can really work hand in glove with the lawyers to make sure it's a smooth kind of transition to dealing with all the legal issues. Yeah, um, yeah, that, so. that's really, really good. And um, yeah, this, this has been very interesting. So we, this is kind of like an introduction to both uh, uh, the process of divorce, the collaborative divorce, uh, but also co-parenting and what to think about for people that uh, are going through divorce or, or have gone through divorce and is still troublesome. So yeah. 
we yeah. just do an initial like uh, uh, talk here and then uh, hopefully mark will come back to this podcast and, and share sure. more wisdom to our listeners because you know about 50 percent of all marriages sadly enough uh, end up in divorce there's so many yeah. people that that uh, want the kind of, kind of like keys to to make this a good transition and mm -hmm. i think really that divorce doesn't have to be bad it's like for me it was that definitely extremely difficult but uh, i've turned into i've you know it's a choice but i got a coach i got a counselor i got a mentor to help me through yeah. the process and yeah. uh, to discover my faults and my problems to be able to become a better person and uh, for for example right now i i don't think i've ever felt this good but it's, it's a lot thanks to me going through the process of yeah. healing about going through the process of discovering you know things that i might have shortcomings you know from growing up or whatever and uh just continually grow as a person right so and that's why i love interviewing people and different people that has different perspectives have different experiences and uh, glean these keys and that these listeners everybody and including myself can learn from so I, I'm really looking forward to uh, to a ne next episode and see what we can uh, figure out. I know we're gonna yeah. talk. We can talk a little bit more about co-parenting and the importance of that, yeah. and then uh, also about uh, family because you're a family therapist as well. Right. But uh, yeah, I just want to come to a little end. I don't know if you have any uh, ending words of wisdom to to people that are listening. Well, I think that um, you. In, in your description of myself as a family therapist, oh, you made a, you made a reference to um, yourself and things that might have happened in childhood or, you know, we all have a background, we all grew up in families. And, um, and I think you and I talked about this previously that, um, you know, as a family therapist, I look at f how family functions, um, how families function over generations and what is... Um, what is common or average for the family life cycle. And, um, you know, given that the divorce rate is around 50%, it seems evident that um, um, divorce is a part of family experience. It's not, I mean, it, in, the, in the past, it's been coached as a failure or as a broken family kind of a thing, as opposed to um, some... Some relationships are more resilient and they can withstand the stresses and strains of life and hold together. Um, and there have been books and books written on that. And for lots of different reasons I won't go into now, um, some of those relationships aren't as resilient or um, don't make it through the stresses and strains of life. And distance starts to grow between spouses and leads to um, those relationships ending. And that that is just part of the natural life cycle of families. Um, yeah. Some do better, some not so much. And so it's so in terms of this idea of the stigma of divorce, I, I think that um, while we can look back at what was our piece that we brought to that relationship that contributed to it ending, um, 
I don't, th- I don't think it's prescri- uh, prescriptive in the sense of there's something wrong or bad about that person. There are lots of different um, emotional dynamics and relational dynamics that contribute to two people deciding to end their relationship or one person deciding and the other one having to deal with that. Yeah, so. yeah I, I think it's very sound to have that type of view of divorce because the stigma around divorce is, I think, quite destructive for people for myself i was very a lot of shame involved because uh, both my parents were married for their whole you know until my dad passed away and uh, uh, also in church uh, it tends to in my case uh, they pro they preach so strongly about staying married uh, but did not teach a lot about divorce and uh, it it just brought a lot of shame and a failure, and uh, it was definitely a, a, an overwhelming feeling of failure for uh, for several years until I I was able to to work through that. But now yeah. working through that and uh, starting to talk about it, it's it's an author I've, I mentioned this before, Brené Brown. She's a, a psychologist and she studies shame here in Texas, and uh, she yeah. said. Shame wants you not to talk about what you're ashamed of. So you kind of like hide it. But uh, it's actually when you start talking about it that this shame is actually going to be dissipating and and get out. So, And that's why I encourage people, if if you do have dealing with a lot of shame, uh, talk to a counselor, talk to a good friend, and that was actually release some of this shame. So, but uh, I just want to thank you again, Matt, Mark, for this time. Uh, we're gonna yeah, it was fun. Go to a close here on the podcast, and uh, like I said, the the Rocking Life podcast. I started it a little over a month ago. I'm overwhelmed with all the listeners and comments. Uh, we have almost, uh, I think it's close to a thousand listeners that have listened to all the the, the podcast so far, and uh, I think it's amazing. And a lot of comments. Yeah. Are we going to do a Q&A here in the future with, uh, where we're going to collect the questions? And we'll do a little Q&A for people. And uh, uh, I, do, I started the podcast with bring awareness to help people, and especially people that have gone through divorce and are still stuck in this lonely, depressed state. Because I was there, I know exactly how it feels and how difficult it can be. And I want mm-hmm. this to be kind of like a... Uh, ignition to to kind of like spark something inside of you that, that are listening that and see hope in the future and that's why interviewing people that have gone through divorce in a good way and you don't have to sit there in a lonely place get out get help it's not failure to go out and get help you know it's uh, that's wisdom to ask for help so I just want to end on that note and say thank you again Mark for this time and then uh, I really hope to see you soon again Yeah, no, thank you for having me and I've enjoyed our conversation and look forward to the next time we can uh, get together again. Awesome.